Chapter 24 of Sefi Hoshua is such a rich chapter filled with details and many topics which we need to question. But I'm going to begin for today with the very final verses of the book of Joshua, the last uh, psukim of Perak Chavdalad. And we're told there that Joseph's bones, which were put in a coffin in Egypt, which were taken out of Egypt by Moshe, now are brought to their final resting place in the very field that Yaakov purchased from Shechem ben Hamor, and this is the uh, final detail we see in the Sefer. Why this? I'm sure that Joseph's bones were buried much earlier. They didn't leave it till the end of the period of Joshua to do it. I assume when they got to Shechem, they, they put his bones to rest. So why is this the final thing we're told? Well, I think this is the closing of a historical circle. Because, of course, um, how do we get down to Egypt in the first place? There was that day when Yosef was sent from his father, from Hebron, and he said, Halo achecha ro'im bishchem. Your brothers are shepherding the flocks in Shechem. That was the day that Yosef was sold. That was the day that the uh, Egyptian exile began, in a certain sense, because Joseph went down, as a result of which the brothers go down, as a result of which the Jewish people find themselves in Egypt. They come out of Egypt and don't forget to bring Yosef's bones with them. And now we are coming to the close of this process. In a certain sense, the book of Yehoshua is the sixth book of the Torah. In a certain sense, the Torah always promised the land of Israel from the time of Avraham. And there is a grand historical circle which is happening from the promise of the land to the exile to the uh, exodus from Egypt, and now the fulfillment of our Jewish vision, now that we are a people in their land, in this place. And the symbolism of the close of this process, to a certain degree, is the burial of Yosef. Yosef is buried, the process comes full circle, and that is an amazing end to the Sefer Yehoshua. But what about the rest of the chapter? <laughs> chapter 24 begins when you read chapter 24 it seems to be a national assembly very similar to that to chapter 23 23 joshua warns the people to keep away from idolatry and to worship god and in chapter 24 he does the same thing are these just two different assemblies two different gatherings what are they? Well, there are many, many problems in this chapter, details that are mentioned here, which we've not really heard about in the past. Uh, I haven't got time to go into them. But probably the most strange, well, I'll mention two or three strange things out of this chapter. One of them is that Joshua gives them a cho choice. He says, you're worshipping idols. He says, fear God. I'm reading from verse 14. Fear God. Serve God truthfully. Remove all of the idols from your from your uh, all of the idols from and serve God. But if it's bad for you to serve God, then you make a choice: choose whether you want to worship Hashem or whether you want to worship idolatry. 
Now, when does any Jewish leader ever give the people a choice like that? Is just is this just rhetoric? What's what's going on here? This is especially difficult because if you look at verse thirty-one in our chapter, it says, "Vayavod Yisrael et Hashem kol yemei Yehoshua v'chol yemei Hazkinim asheheri chuyamim acharei Yehoshua." That the Jewish people were devoted to God, the whole generation, and even afterwards. So apparently they haven't turned to idolatry. So why is he telling them to put away their gods? Whose gods? Who are we talking about? The second thing is, when he repeats this demand, it says, Vayichrot Pasuk Chafhe, verse 25, Joshua made a covenant to the people on that day, and he established a chok o mishpat, law and covenant in Shechem, and Joshua wrote all of these things in a Sefer Torah Elohim. And he took the great stone, and he put it under the Elah, under the um, Elah tree, Asher Migdash Hashem. It sounds like that there is a, a sanctuary, a shrine, a temple in Shechem. And he puts the law under the great stone, which is under the Eilat tree. Now, we know that in the Torah we're told that you're not allowed to plant a tree. If it is a Mizbeach, then it has, sorry, if it is a, a Mikdash, then it has a Mizbeach. If it's a temple, then it has an altar. And we're told very explicitly that... Here in, in, in Parshat Shoftim, um, you're not allowed to plant any, any tree next to God's altar, and you're also not allowed to make a matseva. So what's this? We already have a temple, a, 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 a mishkan in Shiloh. So what is this gathering? What is this mikdash in Shechem? Why does it have a um, is a matseva or or even gedola? Why does it have an elah? Why are the people being given a choice not to accept the Torah? And why do we need a second gathering? And here, I'd like to. There are many, many different explanations for all of this. By the way, let me say that uh, this uh, the, the archaeology of this particular mikdash of this particular uh, shrine or or temple has actually been found in Shrem. And uh, it's quite amazing that this thing has real evidence. The explanation that I really like for this chapter is given by Rav Yol bin Nun. And he says the following, that this is not a actually a covenant for the Jewish people. It is in fact a covenant for the Canaanite nations who have held up the white flag and have decided to convert to Judaism. Let me explain. If you recall, in our early chapters, we saw the war of first Jericho, then I, then give on, hold up the white flag, then the south of the country, and then the north of the country. Okay, fine. So we imagine they're making their way across the country from east to west, then they destroy the armies of the south, and then the armies of the north. But already in that process, before they've even had those two major wars in the north and south, they actually go and make a covenant, the Brachot and Klalot, in Shechem. Shechem's quite far up in the hill country, in the in the land of Ephraim. How did they get up there if the armies hadn't been neutralized? The answer is that, uh, says Rav Yol Nun, is that there were tribes in the north who made peace with the Jewish people. They saw themselves as allies, fellow monotheists. In fact, he even suggests that possibly there were people who had originally been affiliated with Abraham, Abraham had made altars in Shechem and in Beit El, and particularly had 
a whole group of people, Aner, Eshkol, Mamre, a whole set of followers in Hebron. And maybe some of these people are still left in the land of Israel and are very happy to see the return of the monotheistic Israelites. And that paves the way for the Israelites at quite an early stage for B'nai Israel to go to Shechem in peace. Now maybe we understand more why in chapter 24, Yehoshua comes along and says, here, let me tell you a little bit of our history. And in fact, he does a review of the history back from Terach and tells the whole story of um, the Avot, Avram, Yitzchak and Yaakov, and talks about the fact that, that we went down to Egypt, God took us out of Egypt, etc., etc. Why do we need all of this history? And Raviol says, well, we should know that in a, a conversion ceremony, somebody converts to Judaism, they don't just convert to the Jewish religion, they convert to become part of the Jewish people. That when you, when you, if you've ever attended a conversion, they don't only ask, do you believe in God? They don't only ask, are you agreeing to accept the whole, all the mitzvot upon yourself? They ask, are you willing to be part of the Jewish people who have suffered persecution throughout our history? To convert is to convert your religion, but it's also to convert your national status. And this is, a, this is a conversion process for many of the Canaanite tribes who have decided to ally and to be connected to the Jewish people. And that's why Yehoshua gives them a choice. He says, you've been worshipping idols, but are you willing to give it up now? And in fact, these non-Jewish nations, they're not going to become fully Jewish. And therefore, they still retain their shrine. <laughs> their shrine, which is uh, here in, in Shechem. They still have a Migdash in Shechem. And what they do is they take this covenant, which they write a, a, a copy of the Sefer Torah Hashem, and they put it in their Mikdash, under the stone, next to the tree. It doesn't accord with the strict standards of monotheisms, which are okay for Jews. These people remain non-Jews. They're sort of becoming part of an adjunct to the Jewish people, and yet they are our allies. It's an out-of-the-box theory. Uh, there are, of course, other theories, but it's a fascinating one. It's a fascinating one because we're going to see throughout time many, many different groups who sort of have this status. Later on, when we get to Sefer Malachim and in Bait Sheni, we have the Samaritans who are sort of Jewish and sort of not Jewish. <laughs> As some of the commentaries say, in the good times, they really ally with us and they are our, our, our allies. But at bad times, close to the religion of Israel. And that might be a reasonable explanation. It doesn't solve all the problems, but it's a fascinating one for our final chapter. Okay, we're out of time, but we have finished the Sefer, and now it's time for a Siyum Mazaltov. We finish Sefer Yehoshua. Tomorrow we start Sefer Shoftim. <laughs>